The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. This morning, my whole message is about Jesus on the cross, and it revolves around the last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. How many of you know that? The last words that people speak are incredibly significant words. They actually reveal something of them. And uh, it's, it's a great little study if you've got time sometimes just to go through and, and uh, just Google last sayings and, uh, of people. I've got a few here in front of me. Let me read to you one by Deal Moody. Deal Moody was one of the great evangelists of the 1900s, literally saw thousands of people want to Jesus. His last words before he went to into eternity are these, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling me. Isn't that great? How many of you heard of a man called Charles Dickens? Yeah, great, great writer. These are his last words. I commit my soul to the mercy of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I exhort my dear children humbly to try and guide themselves by the teaching of the New Testament. And he goes into eternity. Uh, Isaac Watts, those of you that come from mainline backgrounds would know of Isaac Watts. He wrote a lot of the hymns that I used to sing as a kid growing up, and some of you did the same. Uh, His last words, it is a great mercy that I have no manner of fear or dread of death. I could, if God please, lay my head back and die without terror this afternoon. And that's exactly what happened. He laid his head back and went into eternity. Just one more, one more. This is... uh, French skeptic Voltaire. Who's ever heard of a man called Voltaire? Well, he didn't believe in God. Matter of fact, one of his boasts was this. This is what he boasted. He said, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. This is in the 1800s. That's what he said. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice. It took 12 apostles to rear. That's that's, that's what he said. And um, his last words was this, I'm abandoned by God and man. His last words, and then he went into eternity. What he didn't realize was that 20 years later, the Geneva Bible Society would buy his house And from the very house where he prophesied that in 20 years Christianity would be no more, the Geneva Bible Society were printing Bibles by the thousands. How many? (laughs) What do you say? What do you say is this? If you're going to fight anybody, please don't fight God. You will lose big time. But what about the last words of Jesus? Let's, Let's read this morning from the book of Luke. Three of the last words of Jesus. When I say last words, they're last sentences, they're last phrases. And so there's seven that's recorded, some in Luke, some in Matthew, some in John. But let's, let's read one of the combined stories in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So let's read from verses 33 to 46 of chapter 23. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. 
Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others? Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour. It's about midday. There was darkness over the earth until the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So let's, let's have a look at the last sayings of Jesus on the cross. The first of the seven is this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I just want for a moment just to paint the picture. Because Jesus, as he was led to the crucifixion, before he was crucified, was beaten with a cat of nine tails. I don't know if you understand the, the horror of uh, this weapon of war that was filled with uh, bits of bone and, and broken pieces that when that lash would uh, hit the back, it would literally rip flesh off. And so the, the body of Jesus was incredibly broken. It was, he was beaten, he was smashed in the face, had a crown of thorn. And then finally, the nails that went through his hands and his feet would, you know, I mean, they score pain factors today. You know, so what's your pain factor out of 10? Well, can I just say, no question, 10 out of 10 right there. How many of you can identify what I'm saying? Have, have any of you experienced a 10 out of 10 pain threshold? Because, you know, I, I've, I don't know if I've ever had a 10 out of 10, but I fell off my motorbike once and broke my collarbone and busted my ribs. And can I just tell you, when I was in that agony, I wasn't thinking of others. I was thinking about myself. I was thinking, am I still alive? Whatever. But here's Jesus, 10 out of 10, and he's thinking of others. He's focused on these people that are creating pain upon his body. And he's praying forgiveness into their lives. Come on, guys. Think about this for a little while. What does it take? What does it take? I mean, just to say nothing. Just to say nothing would take every ounce of strength. 
But to go beyond saying nothing to going to, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And who does this speak to? Well, first of all, it speaks to those who have done wrong, that there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. But then it speaks also to us who have been wronged, that we need to follow Jesus' example and forgive. Can I just say to you that if there's anything that will ever poison your spirit, it's unforgiveness. And here's Jesus going to the cross and being exposed to every power from hell to try to poison his spirit, but he wouldn't let it in. He wouldn't let it in. And can I just say that, 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 that unforgiveness is a poison that wants to grip your heart. And there are times when that, that poison, you've got to fight it because it just tastes so sweet to become resentful and to become angry. And it just tempts you, come on, drink a little bit of unforgiveness. Just drink a little bit of this. You'll enjoy it only to find that it corrupts your soul. And Jesus gave us the example, Father, forgive them. Can we pray that same prayer to those that have hurt us? I don't think there's one person in this building here who hasn't done wrong or been wronged. I think all of us can put up our hand. I can certainly put up my hand that I've done wrong. I can also put up the other hand that I've been wronged. And so forgiveness is something that has to be a message that we take home from today. Here's the second message that Jesus said. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, who's, who's Jesus talking to? Well, on one hand, he's talking specifically to a thief. But on the other hand, he's speaking to all of us who have sinned. And so, so get the picture. Now, he's been crucified. He's hanging, suspended between heaven and earth. Just nails holding him up. Total agony. Just trying to breathe just trying to keep it together. So one, one of the thieves, he's very arrogant. Everything about him is arrogant personified. Everything about him is, it's all about me, it's all about me. Last chance. If you really are the son of God, why don't you get yourself down from the cross and save yourself and us in the, in the meantime? And it's all about me. It's all about my pain. It's all about me trying to escape my consequences. But then on the other side, we find a thief who's penitent, a thief who's humble, a thief who's sincere. And he says, have you got no respect? What's going on here? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I'm putting a bit of Italian into the Aramaic and the Hebrew and the Greek, you know. And, and, and then, you know, he rebukes his friend. And then he, he looks to Jesus and with a humble, sincere heart, because he'd already said, I'm here because I've done wrong. I accept responsibility. I'm not blame shifting. How many of you know that there are so many people that can never be humble because they spend their whole life blame shifting? It's not my fault that I'm being crucified today. It's you on the other side. You forced me into it. You did this. You did that. You know, I just got sucked in. I just got caught up in the crowd. I'm really a good person underneath. But he's this humble, penitent thief who said, I'm here 
because I've done wrong. I accept my guilt. And then he turns to Jesus and sees the Savior, has this revelation that this is not another thief. This is actually the Savior. They put a sign to mock him, King of the Jews, but he was actually the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And then with this voice of humility, he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? On the finish line, my friends, right on the finish line, just before he's about to enter into eternity, he cries out with a voice of humility to the one, the only one who could save him. Right there, within breathing distance, was the Savior of the world. And he recognized him. And he calls out in a moment, in a moment of humility, calls out, will you save him? And Jesus pulls himself out of his pain, pulls himself out of his anguish, pulls himself out of his suffering, looks across to the penitent thief and utters these words, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know if you can hear the love and tenderness in those words. Because I I, I can say them with such force. But Jesus, in order to say those words, had to literally pull himself up to breathe. You've got no idea of the agony of being crucified. And I've done research on it. Just to breathe is absolute agony. Surely this day you'll be with me in paradise. Love personified. He looked at this man for this purpose. I have come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to destroy the works of the evil one that has so possessed your soul that you've spent your whole life honoring the evil one. But on the finish line, You recanted on the finish line. You turned your gaze away from the evil one and you've turned your gaze to the holy one and cried out for mercy, cried out for salvation. And on the finish line, he received mercy and salvation. And the thing thing that just melts my heart is a few hours later when Jesus was entering into paradise, into his kingdom, into the afterlife. The first person that accompanies Jesus into the afterlife is the penitent thief. Uh, We don't even know his name. I mean, some research say his name was Demas, whatever, whatever. But the Bible doesn't classify his name. All we know him as is the penitent thief. And what a wonderful illustration it is of God's grace. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Then a few moments later, Jesus utters his third words on the cross. And the third words that Jesus utters from the cross is, Behold your son, behold your mother. This is found in John chapter 19, verse 26, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to the cross. 
And next to her was a disciple that he loved called John the Beloved. And so Jesus turns and saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And and what we see here in the third saying of Jesus on the cross is the audience is his loved ones. And the passion of his heart for family and friends is, come on, love each other. Just love each other. Would you look out for each other? Would you care for each other? Would you show the world that you're my disciples by the love that you show one another? Don't live a selfish, egocentric life. Would you look out for each other? Would you look out for the person next to you? Stop stop living a self-centered life. It's not all about you. It's about the people around you. You live, you live a life that, that helps the people around you. You live a big life. What a wonderful thing it is to turn to people and say, how can I help you? How can I bless you? You know, one of the things that I love the most is giving you, every time you come here, something from God's word to bless you. One of the, one of the joys of my life is to go into God's kitchen and work with them and bake some fresh bread. Just bake something fresh. You know, I've got thousands of sermons. And I could pull one out of the pile and just heat it up in the microwave and just stick it on the table. But one of my greatest joys is to get in the kitchen with God. Lord, let's cook something up for them that will really feed them and bless them and help them so they leave better than the way they came. Looking out for each other. I look at my wife and I think every day, how can I bless Anne? How can I make her life more joyful? What can I do to bring joy to her heart? And you know what? That's the way to live life. That's the way. Can I tell you that when you behave like that, you'll always be loved. How can you not be loved when you give love away? And how can you not create a culture that's a love culture when you put those ingredients there? If you wake up one day and you find yourself in a toxic culture, you wake up and and there's hate and anger and war around you and, and you have power to influence that, can I just say that you need to stop and say, maybe I'm putting the wrong ingredients into this culture and maybe I just need to be a bit more loving, a bit more caring, a bit more forgiving and just put the right ingredients in the right ingredients in, because if you put the right ingredients in, you'll get a culture that reflects those ingredients. How many of you know that if you were in the first service, you got a different sermon to the second service? And uh, and can I just say to you that it's just so beautiful when you care for each other, and that's what Jesus was saying. Come on, care. His mum, care for her. I'm going, but somebody care for her. Someone look out for her. John, look out for her. Hey, Mary, look out for John as well. Look out for each other. Love each other. What a beautiful thing. Church, let's love each other. Let's embrace each other. When we see one another, make it out like you haven't seen them for a thousand years and you're so happy to see them. What a great way to do life. You know something? One of my principles in life as a husband is that I won't leave the house without kissing my wife. And I won't come home without kissing her either. So it's the hello and the goodbye kiss that makes everything so worthwhile. And you know what? When I see my kids, it's the same thing. And even my son-in-law. I'm, I'm, I haven't gotten to kissing him yet. 
but we'll get there one day. Uh, he's, he's Aussie. And uh, uh, how many Italians have we got here? How many Italians? You don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. And I, I love my Asian brothers that are still getting used to the hug. They're still getting used to it. Okay, number four. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wow, this sits in the middle of the seven words of Jesus on the cross. And and the audience is this. Those that are wondering what it cost for your salvation. Have you ever wondered what it cost? Have you ever wondered the price that was paid? Here it is. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You got no idea of how painful that statement is. You've got no idea when, when, when you understand that the theology of God, God has always been. There's no, God had no beginning. Nobody created God. God has always been. And God has always been one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the Father and the Son have always been one from the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, they've always been one. But there was this one moment when the son felt forsaken by God. You ever wondered what it cost Jesus? What it cost the father? You've got no idea of that cost where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And just to understand why, there's a scripture that Paul gives us insight in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Where, where Paul says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You've got no idea. You've got no idea what this cost. We're talking holy, pure God who became sin. Filthy, vile sin. How many of you have ever been exposed to a horrible, sinful situation? How many of you have been exposed to abuse? How many have been exposed to lies? How many of you have been exposed to being ripped off? All the sins. We're not talking about one or two. We're talking about the whole sin of humanity was just poured upon Jesus. And Jesus at that point was sin. He was the personification of sin. The holy, the holy Son of God became the personification of sin. Even Jesus, in premeditating this, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he looked at, he called it the cup of suffering, this cup of suffering that lays before me. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, make the way. But nevertheless, he says, not my will, but your will be done. Realizing there was no other way, that a price had to be paid. And that price that was paid to wash away your sins was Jesus became sin. So we, we, we spend a lot of time talking about what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we, we see the fact that he did shed his blood. We do see the fact, the pain and the suffering, his back was bruised and whipped, the nails in his hands. And we look at that suffering, we look at that physical suffering, but what we miss out on is the spiritual suffering where Jesus became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, can you just think about this for an incredible moment that Jesus said, I'm taking, I'm taking all your sin, and what I will do is that I will give you all my righteousness. 
Give me your filth. Give me all of your guilt and regret. Give it to me. I'll take it off you and I'll exchange it and give you righteousness in its place. Why, why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want that? Because he gives it freely. You don't have to pay for it. He's paid for it. You don't have to earn it. He's giving it to you. This exchange that takes place. He became sin that you might become righteous. That's what Easter is all about. That's the power of Easter. Where you walk away with righteousness. Because he took on your sin. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Brings us to the fifth word. I thirst. You say, well, that's a strange one. What's, what's all that about? Well, the Bible is really clear that when Jesus uttered these words, he uttered them to fulfill a prophecy. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So in the Old Testament, there's what's called messianic prophecies. Everybody say messianic prophecies. So the Old Testament is filled with these prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming Savior, the coming Redeemer. It's just full of them. And so the Jewish people of that time and those that were looking for the Messiah knew the prophecies. And so they were trying to put, well, well who could it be? Who could it be that can fulfill all these prophecies? And so, so Psalms, the book of Psalms, has many of these messianic prophecies. And one of the Psalms that's a very powerful messianic prophecy is Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 starts off, get hold of this, look it up. Psalm 22 starts off with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You say, what? Weren't they the words that Jesus spoke on the cross? The psalmist heard the voice a thousand years previously. He heard it. He wrote it down. The Jews already knew this. The, the scriptures were already there. They heard, the, they heard Jesus out of these words. And, and some of them were thinking to themselves, he's got to hide. He knew these things. But oh, I'm telling you, you can't manufacture this. Because some of the prophecies in Psalm 22 talk about the Messiah's hands would be pierced and his feet would be pierced. How many of you know that's a pretty hard thing for you to organize yourself. Amen? Then what are some of the others? Well, it says, you know, he's in verse 8 in Psalm 22, verse 8, it says, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. That's exactly what the ruler said. That's exactly what the thief said. It was like verbatim. They were, they were prophesying what was said. And then here's this prophecy in Psalm 22, verse 15, my tongue clings to my jaw. It's, it's an expression of thirst. And so in order to fulfill that, Jesus knowing that, I thirst to fulfill that prophecy. But then, you know, again in verse 18, it actually prophesies that they divide my garments amongst themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. How can, you, how can you manufacture that? The Romans, nobody could tell the Romans what to do, but that's exactly what they did. Hello, what am I saying here? That Jesus is that which was prophesied for thousands of years. The prophecy began in the Garden of Eden that one would come from the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head, but he would bruise his heel. And I'm telling you, Jesus was bruised, but the devil got crushed. Oh, I'm telling you. 
On Sunday, we're going to do a little bit more of that, and there'll be a lot more woohooing on Sunday. I'm telling you right now. There's no doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no doubt that he's the Savior of the world. And there is no doubt that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. It is only through Jesus. He is the way. He is the way. He is the way. There is no other way. Jesus is the way to God. Emphatically. Number six, we're getting closer to the finish. He said, it is finished. Matter of fact, when he said those words, he said them aloud. He cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. He yelled it with a loud voice. So, so you know, when we look at this, we think, oh, well, his job was finished. Yes, you get a tick for that. Well, you know, his mission was finished, yes, but there's something a little bit deeper. You say, what's that? Because the, the word that's used there is the word in the Greek, tetelestai. So Jesus yelled out this word, tetelestai. And this word in the Greek is, is a word that was used for the payment of debts, so, so tax collectors would have a stamp with tetelestai. And it means more than it is finished. It actually means paid in full. It means no more to pay. It's done. The debt is covered. You were free. And so people that were in bondage, once the debt was paid, to Tetelestai, paid in full, now you're free. In those days, people would be sold into slavery because they didn't have enough to pay for their debts. And when the debt was paid, to Tetelestai, paid in full, your chains fall off. You're now free free. You're able to walk out of your prison. You're able to walk out of your cage because somebody paid your debt in full. I want to say to you that when Jesus shouted, it is finished, he said paid in full. It's paid for. The debt has been paid for. You're free to go. You're free to walk out of your prison. You're free to be escaping from the clutches of Satan. Today is your day of freedom because Jesus Christ died upon the cross, shouted, it is finished, and the devil no longer has legal hold over you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on up, Liz. I'm just about finished, but you can come up. It's, my chains have been broken. My chains have fallen off. The prison door has been burst open. The lock has been broken. It's been proclaimed. Can I just say to you that Paul says it so beautifully. It's by grace that you've been saved. It's the free gift of God. It's by faith. It's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. And don't you sit there thinking that you've got to do something. It's been done. See, religion is all about what you have to do. But Christianity is all about what Jesus has done. So stop trying to do the stuff to please God and just receive the free gift. The free gift. It's been done. 
Just receive it. And then finally, his last words, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I love the fact that he shouted, it is finished, paid in full. But it was just out of peace. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. See, he did what he came to do. And then he knew that now it's time to go home. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.